Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke and I'm joined today by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hi Dan. It is the morning after the night before and there's really only one thing on the agenda today, which is of course Manchester City's 4-1 victory over Arsenal on Wednesday, which leaves the reigning Premier League champions in the driving seat to retain their title. I'm a City fan, Lewis is an Arsenal fan and Podrick, uh, you might have to kind of act as a neutral referee if the the discussion gets a bit too spicy, yeah. Yep. Um, I'll start with you, Lewis. Um, as an Arsenal fan, how are you feeling now that the dust has settled after last night? I don't know what you're on about. Arsenal's still top of the league. <laughs> so, you know, it's all to play for, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I personally think it is, despite everybody, uh, you know, hammering the final nail in Arsenal's coffin last night. I, uh, well, I, st- I don't, by the way, for the record. <laughs> Fair enough. What did you make of the, the way the game panned out? I mean, obviously, it was must have been very disappointing. Yeah, I think it was... Well, it was. I think the game, a lot of Arsenal fans, I think, have maybe um, made their peace with it before kickoff, shall we mm. say, the the form of the last few weeks. I don't think this was a title race that was done and dusted necessarily on Wednesday night. I think when the season ends a few weeks from now, we'll look back on those draws. Arsenal going 2-0 up at West Ham, at Liverpool, and then drawing both of those games, giving away a goal in the first minute and lose it and drawing at home against Southampton as well. I mean, Anfield, it's not a bad point, mm. but if you take at least maybe two of those games and think Arsenal could have held on or, or in the case against Southampton, not gone behind at home against the worst team in the league in the first minute and taken four extra points, then we'd be having a very different conversation today. Um, yeah. I think the confidence obviously had been completely rocked by that and City are, are doing what City have been doing for weeks now. So it's we're used to this. We're used to this from Manchester City. They'll get into rhythm at some point during the season and it's sort of good night for anybody who can't keep up. And Arsenal, with especially with the injury to William Saliba, just couldn't keep up. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, it's funny for me because, you know, a lot of the talk around City at the moment was that, like, this was kind of inevitable, as you, as you sort of touched on there, that, you know, it was going to happen at some point. They were going to hit the stride and, you know, it was all going to come together for them. They've got to steamroll and go on a winning run at the end of the season, as they've done before. But there was a point about two months ago when I really didn't see this being the case. I thought Arsenal had it in the bag pretty much. I didn't think City were really going to get the shit together in time. Um, you know, there was a lot of kind of trial and error in the way City were playing. It wasn't really coming together. Some very, very disjointed football. You know, there were times when we were we were talking on the podcast not long ago, like, has Haaland made City worse? Like, how, how are they, you know, they, they just can't seem to get the best out of him. And then you look at the way they've been playing recently and last, last night kind of felt like the, the culmination of that, really. It's like it's all come together for City now. You know, even the kind of pre-match worry that Nathan Ake was out, you know, Akanji played and was just superb and just the, the structure and the, the system is is so, so working so brilliantly at the moment. Podrick, how much of the game last night came down to there wasn't an awful lot Arsenal could do about it? It was just City being superb. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that, that was it. Um, and I think, like Lewis touched on with Saliba as well, being out for a while, but particularly mm. in this game, I think from... It seemed like the word goal. Haaland was always out in front of holding, always causing them problems. I mean, the goal came from that, came really early when it did, obviously. And yeah, I think like Arsenal just just couldn't get any kind of foothold on the on the ball after that whatsoever. There was just vast points of that first half where they just couldn't get out. And yeah, like you said, a lot of that was down to City, obviously. Um not sure there was a whole lot. Uh, Arsenal or Arteta could have done because Man City 
they can do that to anybody, obviously, but to do that to the team who up until now had been the best team in the country um, this season, obviously still top of the league, but you would fancy City, like we've said, in the, the two games in hand to overhaul mm. that. And they made Arsenal just look like like any other team in the country. That's that's the level that City are at now. It's it's incredible, yeah. That I mean, yeah, it seemed like there's obviously some frustration with it and the the only the only thing I could have thought maybe Arteta could have done differently, and this is just speaking as someone who likes the guy a lot and Scotland had this problem when um when you've got two really top level players that play in the same position like you have with Zinchenko and Tierney and Scotland had that with Robertson and Tierney that you kind of had to move one of them to accommodate it and Tierney's obviously came inside played centre back for Scotland I thought maybe that was one option they could have went with overholding but I mean that that is clutching at absolute straws (laughs) and I don't think he would have made a difference but uh, yeah just that was kind of the only only takeaway I had that maybe could have helped because Haaland obviously did have holding um, just on toast the whole game. But then he goes and gets his goal at the end anyway. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah, like I said, just not a lot I think Arsenal could have done really. Um, yeah. That's a good city were on the night. What do you think, Lewis? Did you have any issues with Arteta's team selection or, or his in-game management? Um, I think in terms of team selection, there was a lot of talk from Arsenal fans building up to this one the last couple of weeks with Saliba out. You know, oh, can we play party at right back and bring Jorginho in, or should we switch to a back five? I think sort of, you know, maybe what's Podrick touched on there, maybe play Tierney and play a back five instead. Um, personally, I don't think it would have made any difference last night. I thought City, for their part, were excellent, and I thought Arsenal couldn't complete 10 yard passes, didn't win a single tackle on the night. I think the, you know, the players were not anywhere near the level they needed to be to compete in that game. And and I don't want to take anything away from City. Like City forced that situation as well. I think that was the best that I've seen City play by a mile this season. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, changes obviously could be made. Do you play back three and back off? I just thought City were really good. I thought Guardiola, it was aggressive from the beginning, but I thought Guardiola showed Arsenal maybe more respect than I expected with playing John Stones just as a normal centre-back and that sort of back four. I guess he didn't want situations where Saka or Martinelli got on the ball and they were one-on-one against their sort of wide centre-backs and could take them on inside, outside. So, you know, he left that extra midfielder back. He had Haaland holding the ball up and not being such a threat, maybe getting in behind. But De Bruyne doing that job instead... And it worked a treat, you know, Arsenal, I think the two centre-backs were both too bothered with Haaland uh, instead of trying to cover those runs from De Bruyne. Mm. Thomas Partey was leaving them on their own to deal with the mm. probably the two best players in England when they're on form instead of hanging back a little bit and not joining in with the press. I think Arsenal, yeah, like we, we've seen it in the previous games this season, that Arsenal didn't really have the chance to press City that often because City went longer mm. a lot more than they usually do which obviously is a sign of respect, but then it's down to Arsenal to find different solutions to the different questions that City have been posing in these games, and they didn't do it. Yeah. What did you make of the uh, the game that Aaron Ramsdale had? Because, you know, just before the first goal, he he sort of palmed that cross into danger. It looked like he was mm. maybe a little, bit, a little bit nervous. And I don't know, could he have done better with the first goal, do you think? I think so. I think it's a really good finish, but 
I don't think it's anywhere near. Daniel, remember the finish that De Bruyne pulled off at the Emirates a few years ago? Mm. He just rocketed it into the top corner. De Bruyne has a habit, it feels like, of doing this against Arsenal. We just sort of, from 25 yards, put a ball right in the corner and no one could do anything about it. I didn't feel yeah, like that January finish well, was huh? that good last night. Yeah, January too. Yeah. Um, you know, lobbing Ramsdale from a really difficult bouncing ball. I didn't feel like last night was one of those, though, that was in the corner and was sort of impossible to save. I didn't think it flashed past Ramsdale. I think he probably should do better on the third goal as well. Um, sorry, or the, or the fourth. Like, I think there's been a lot mm. of goals recently where Aaron Ramsdale gets close to them, but doesn't get either enough of a hand or doesn't get close quickly enough, not to mention the the goal against Southampton last week where he obviously just passed them the ball in the opening mm. minute of the game. Uh, he's had a really rocky few months for me. And yeah, I mean, now the discussion obviously is going to be how Arsenal can keep this going and keep up for coming seasons. I think when you get this close and the team looks as good as it has for long stretches, it's really hard to find players who can improve on what's been delivered so far this season but I feel like maybe next season now that the crest of this wave has already been ridden and we'll see how Arsenal go again we'll um, maybe be having discussions about Aaron Ramsdale and whether or not you come in the league with him in goal mm, yeah yeah but it was it was a superb strike from De Bruyne he had a fantastic game um, you know City were essentially playing 4-4-2 at one point it seemed with De Bruyne alongside Haaland or even ahead of Haaland as the uh, as the sort of uh, secondary striker um, as a midfielder Podrick do you think he's uh, you know definitively the best the Premier League has ever seen at this point and are we looking at you know maybe one of if not the best players the Premier League has ever seen oh I mean, I think Thier- of, Thierry Henry yeah. probably still takes that mantle for me personally, yeah. but I don't think Kevin's I, I too far behind. So as well. Yeah, I would say so when you grew up watching Thierry Henry, yeah, then I would agree with that as well, to be honest. I think when he was at his absolute best, it was just, yeah, just a completely different sport that he was playing almost other players. But, um, yeah, I mean, best midfielder, he's, he'd be up there, he'd be in the discussion. I don't know, it's, it's really hard, isn't it, obviously, to... To compare likes him to to other ones, um, even this season, I'd have thought if he, if Arsenal had gotten over the line, you could probably have made a really strong case that Odegaard might have had the better individual season if he'd managed to to take an Arsenal team that nobody expected to, to challenge for the title and then go on and win it. And obviously, it takes nothing away from from his season as well. Um, but yeah, De Bruyne, especially last night, and it's just some of the paths that he plays. It just he makes them look easy, and I guess that's always just the mark of these like really top level kind of talents. That there's passes that he pulls off that maybe seven, eight other players out of ten in the league would try, and it wouldn't come off. And he, he's just pulling it off effortlessly. I think, yeah, you know, like you guys were saying about the the first goal. Obviously, maybe Ramsdale could have done a, a little bit better, but yeah, obviously it's still an, an absolutely incredible strike from De Bruyne. Um, wasn't even expecting him almost to take it on from there. Mm. Uh, I don't, one of the best, I don't know, but uh, I, I don't know, you'll probably, I've seen them every week and watched them more than me. City's best player then, Dan, this season, because he seems to almost be that good now that he doesn't get talked about like that. Yeah. And it's a strange one. I mean, for me, he's actually probably City's best ever player at this point. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I'm not old enough to have watched some of the players in the 1960s and stuff like that, but like, you know, 
David Silva is kind of widely regarded as the best ever player. I think De Bruyne is better than Silva was, to be honest. I think he's more influential. I think he, you know, has a bit more to his game, more of a complete player. You've got Aguero, who obviously had the big moments, but, you know, um, was just a striker, essentially. And uh, and Yaya Torre is up there as well. But yeah, I think De Bruyne is like, you know, really taken that now you know he's got he's got the individual records and the individual awards to kind of show for it as well and uh it's funny with him because like you know like I said about City were were sort of a bit all over the place a couple of months ago De Bruyne kind of has this habit of going about three months every season now where he's just crap (laughs) like really bad like he's playing football with like his boots on the wrong feet or something like he can't complete passes like it's just not coming off for him and every time it happens I think is this the one is this like terminal now is he's just never going to get back to those heights again Somehow he just finds some kind of reserves of strength and comes back and, and he's and he's firing again and uh, you know he's thirty two now he's 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 over the hill a little bit but like he's still just just so so good and so influential and he's been really really key to like City finding this form I think in uh, in recent weeks and uh, another player who's been absolutely key this season is obviously Erling Haaland who broke the thirty eight game Premier League goal scoring record in this game um, after letting his hair down a few minutes later and running around like. Uh, I don't know, the uh, Beast from Beauty and the Beast or something. Um, Lewis, obviously you watched him um, a lot during his time at Dortmund and there was a lot of talk about his adaptation, uh, you know, when he joined City and over the course of the season, there's been a bit of debate about him. Has kind of the speed of his adaptation and his goal scoring output surprised you at all? The goals, no. I think Erling Haaland was was obviously scoring a goal a game pretty much for wor- much worse teams, let's say, than Manchester mm. City. Uh, <laughs> not just domestically, but in the Champions League as well against top, top opposition so the idea that you can kind of plug him in to continue the android element of, of Erling Haaland, just plug him into the, the team that already without a striker created more constantly than any other team on the planet. Um, it doesn't surprise me that he scores more than a goal a game. I think especially because it's all focused on him as well in the box now, or, or so much of it. You know, City created so many chances without a striker the last couple of seasons. But then they were divvied up between Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne and Elkai Gundogan and Riyad Mahrez and whoever else was playing in that sort of front four. And now you've got all of them just serving this one guy pretty much anytime City get into the final third. So I'm not surprised by how many goals he's scoring. I'm not. I'm not too surprised. You know, you've you've got probably the most talented striker on the planet and the best manager on the planet. And it doesn't surprise me too much that they figured it out mm. and managed to find a yeah. way that they can play with him. I guess what maybe surprises me a bit is that Guardiola has made concessions on his own footballing ideals in order to to get Haaland to play so well or to make it click between him and the team. I think obviously, you know, Haaland can't do the, the false nine thing quite the same way that other players would and it is going to be geared towards him in attack. And you can also, with a player that, that strong and that fast, you can use long balls and, and get people running off of him and have the, def- mm. have the defenders just sort of dragged in towards him, which is what happened for the first goal, especially last night. So I think there's, um, yeah, the, my element of surprise would be that maybe that it's happened this quickly, this early, which is, you know, funny to say because people just want to make instant reactions all the time. And it was like three months into Haaland and City and mm. he was scoring a goal every game and everyone was like, oh, but they're not as good. Which like, I think there was there was something to that, but people just aren't willing to give these things a bit of time anymore for some reason. Um, yeah, like what surprises me, I guess, yeah, like I say, is that, uh, that Guardiola's willing to 
change his ways a little bit and play those long balls and have mm. De Bruyne last night playing that floating role where he can just find the space and run off of Haaland because it doesn't look like a Guardiola team I think when you when you see that when you see some of the performances earlier in the season against well recently against Bayern Munich the game at the Emirates as well it's not Guardiola football it's more geared towards getting the most out of Erling Haaland mm. but at the end of the day he's on the pitch and Guardiola isn't so <laughs> yeah. of course of course, you build the attack around what he's good at yeah a, f- a few people I, would, I was going to say though just to add on her I couldn't work out after the game whether I thought you know he's had a really good game here <laughs> or if he's actually been quite bad because obviously he ran the defence ragged he's, he's set up the first goal he's set up the third goal and obviously he did really well for the first goal um, but the goal that he gets I think Lewis is right earlier. I would be looking at Ramsdale with that one. Yeah. And then he's been denied by Ramsdale with much harder ones. I think the one in the first half that it was cut back, it's a poor mess. The one-on-one in the second half, the one that he's curled just wide. You know, he, he probably should have broken the 42-game the record last night <laughs> yeah. alone in the game. So, And it's one of those when you think for him personally, I wonder if he's coming off the field thinking, yeah, that was a, a successful night or not for me because yeah, he had the chances that probably at least because I had a hat-trick last night. Yeah. Well, my take on that is that that was, despite his poor finishing, was possibly his best game so far for City because I think I've said to you two uh, before that like, as a goal scorer, he's amazing. He's phenomenal. But as a footballer, he does leave a little Mm -hmm. bit to be desired sometimes. You know, his link-up play, his touch can be a bit iffy sometimes. You know, he can be passing the ball out of play sometimes. And I've been a little bit kind of disappointed with that this season and almost taking his phenomenal goal scoring record for granted and kind of thinking, I, I like this, but I want to see a little bit more. And maybe next season, yeah. you know, as it goes on, we'll see a bit more. And last night I started to see a bit of that, you know, that first goal, it's just, I mean, a few people made the point on Twitter that it's like uh, all this tactical innovation that's talked about. It was basically lumping the ball up to the big man to flick it on for, to the little man for score. But like the way he took that ball down under pressure from Holden was really impressive. And like there was a few other moments in the game, link up play, he got the assist for the second goal as well. Um, the third goal, sorry. And yeah, it just seems to me like it's sort of coming together a bit more in that way now. And, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll see a, a little bit more um, of that next season. Would he be your um, player of the year outright, would you say, Podrick? I mean, there's been, you know, talk about Odegaard this season and, and Saka. If City do go on to win the, the league, has Haaland got to be the player of the year for you? I think even now, if they don't, he probably has to be, doesn't he? Mm. I mean, there's the outside chance that Arsenal went do want to win the league. Um, but the way this guy's playing and the way he's scoring, um, he's going to not only break, he's already obviously broken the 38-game record, he will break the 42-one. You'd imagine if he's going to keep scoring, City are going to keep winning. Um, and yeah, I mean, you you don't know what amount is even possible. Like You could envisage him getting to to 40 goals and ending the, the season with like more than a goal a game. And that's on top of the fact that he's not even played in every game for City either. Mm. Um, so yeah, for me, yeah, hands down. Um, there was an argument, I think, for a while. I really enjoyed watching Odegaard this season. But yeah, you can't look past him now, can you? I'd be no. surprised if, if anyone did, to be honest. Yeah. Another player who has uh, who has quietly been very good for City all season. Who again you will have seen a lot of at Dortmund. Lewis is Manuel Akanji. Um, he played left back last night. I did not see that coming. You know that was a, a real surprise when when the team selections came out. Obviously, um, uh, Nathan Ake being injured, um, and he, he had a superb game. He's he's been very quietly consistent. You know, s- solid if unspectacular. Has that surprised you at all compared to what you saw when he was in the Bundesliga? To an extent, I think there's a. I think it's probably the 
the least underrated or least talked about thing that Pep Guardiola can do is to make defenders really, really, really good. Mm. Um, you know, I think Manuel Kanji. I also think like Guardiola's system, like, I don't think it's the hardest thing in the world. And I think for a time people thought it was. I don't think it's the hardest thing in the world to play at the back for Manchester City, Yeah, um, for Pep Guardiola. Ha- like, I don't know how much Manuel Kanji actually had to do last night. Anytime Bukayo Saka, there are few far between, but anytime Bukayo Saka got the ball, Jack Grealish was there within five seconds. Ilkay Gundogan was there within five seconds and Kanji was happy to, you know, shepherd uh, Shepherd Saka wide or or into the traffic that was inside or, or behind him. So, you know, I think it's a, a collective effort, a team effort, really. And obviously, there's incredible quality all around the team. And then I think you can maybe afford for one or two of the players sometimes to not be quite so good. Uh, I would probably put personally put a Kanji in, in that category. Mm. And you know, as I say, beyond that, I think Guardiola is incredible at developing centre backs. I think. Jerome Boateng had so many ricks in him. Like there was obviously ability there, but he had so many errors in him when Pep Guardiola arrived at Bayern Munich and Pep Guardiola left Bayern Munich and Jerome Boateng was, I would say by then, almost unanimously considered the best centre-back in the world. He did it with Piquet and Puyol and with Abidal as well at at Barcelona. He turned Javier Mascherano into an incredible centre-back at Barcelona too as a, you know, sort of almost small-ish holding midfielder mm. and I, I think he just does it time and time again really you know we've seen the development of John Stones who I think now he's playing football better than he's ever played in his career and I've always been a big fan of John Stones anyway I think Ruben Diaz came in and put it this way I think if other teams signed these defenders I don't, and, and you can talk about the money that City spend and, and that kind of thing and people do and there's definitely something in that. Mm. But I don't think if anyone else bought these defenders, these defenders would become as good as they do yeah. under Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Why do you think um, Arsenal kind of struggled to get the ball into Saka and Martinelli last night? Why were they so kind of nullified? I think there was just that. I think everyone was a bit surprised. Probably shouldn't be surprised about Pep changing something in a big mm. game. But I thought he really showed Arsenal respect by leaving John Stones back and you know so De Bruyne touched on it after the game that Arsenal are great at pressing and you can't really play out against them so City just sort of A didn't try as often as you'd expect but B did it but with an extra man in the back line mm. and I think that worked defensively as well I think you know like I say when Saka got the ball usually against City recently you're playing that sort of back three and Stones comes into midfield and the opposition wins the ball and if they attack quickly with a you know with a couple of wingers and a centre forward it's it's very much three on three at the back. I thought Bayern Munich had a a lot of fun fun's probably the wrong word, but they got a lot of joy out of that Kingsley yeah. Coman, especially running at Nathan Ake across the both legs. And I think Guardiola maybe even with that Bayern game in mind, the one away in particular did not want to to allow Saka and Martinelli to get one-on-one. So, mm. you know, obviously playing sort of the, the fourth player who doesn't join the attack, if you like, and yeah. doesn't come into midfield like we're so used to from him. Arsenal just never had the chance to be one-on-one. Uh, you know, Martinelli, Saka, uh, Martinelli, Saka, Gabriel Jesus down the middle as well. And it felt like everybody was just doubled up and ganged up on every single time. Yeah. And on Jesus as well, I mean, I am sensing a little bit of perhaps discontent to, towards him from Arsenal fans. Is that fair to say? And if so, um, 
you know, is it time to get Leandro Trossard back into the team maybe a bit more? I wouldn't be surprised next Tuesday against Chelsea if, if Trossard came back into the side. Because you looked yeah, better when I he mean, came on last night. I don't know if it was just coincidence in the, the kind of time of the game that it was kind of over, but... I, I th- yeah, I, like, I did think City had just sort of taken their foot off the gas. I don't know, mm. they got out of the car by, by the time <laughs> Trossard and Jorginho yeah. and Smithrow came on, it felt like... Um, Definitely, there was there was a bit of an improvement. I think it's Arsenal have reached that stage now a little bit, and, and hopefully in the summer will be even more in that stage where they don't have eleven good players anymore. Uh, they have more, and and Trossard was maybe the start of that in terms of the front three. The front three picked itself and was outstanding for the first half of the season before Jesus got injured, and then obviously Trossard came in like a duck to water straight away fits with how Arteta plays, what he wants from his forwards. And then Arteta's had a difficult time the last few weeks, I think, trying to figure out, right, now I've got four really good forwards, but three positions and I have to leave someone out. He, he defaulted to leaving Trossard out uh, at Anfield and has continued that four games in a row now. I think there will be some sort of change. I think there has to be some sort of change for, for mm. the last five games of the season so the season doesn't peter out more than it already has. Uh, yeah, and I wonder with Gabriel Jesus as well, just he's come back from a serious injury, from yeah. surgery. And then because obviously the nature of the title race, I think like Arsenal have, I wouldn't say rushed him back, but thrown him in quite quickly to play in every single game from the start again. And you do wonder physically if it's just taken a little bit of a toll for a player who's, yeah, I mean, just a few months ago had knee surgery and, and had to come back and deal with, you know, the emotional difficulty of going through a, a serious injury like that while you're at the World Cup with your country as well. Yeah, and, let, and let's be honest, has never been the most reliable goal scorer really. And I wonder if maybe just a little bit too much pressure was kind of put on him a little bit. It was almost like, you know, he was kind of going to be the, the saviour that was going to come back into Arsenal and, and, you know, seal the title really. And I wonder if that's just a little bit too much for him, like you say, after the, after having had that injury. Um, here's a question for you, Podrick, and I want to get your take on this as well in a moment, Lewis, but I'll, I'll come to you first, Podrick. And, you know, I hate this chat, but there's a lot of it going around at the moment, um, you know, in, after the past three games for Arsenal. Are Arsenal or have Arsenal bottled it? <laughs> no, no I, for me, no. Uh, and I'm safe enough distance from Lewis that I wouldn't be <laughs> fearful that he was going to lash out at me anyway, but I mean... I, I mean, you've said it as well anyway there. I, I don't like any of that kind of talk either. I mean, how can they have bottled it when so many people didn't even think they'd be in the top four this season? They've, they've not been in it last season. They've came from nowhere, challenged for the title. Um, yeah, I mean, they're still ahead of City in the title race as well. I mean, there's no guarantee that City will go on and win these games. Like... I think you'd always say it, that at this point in the season and when City are still fighting on three fronts, you'd probably prefer to have the points on the board than the games in hand. And there's mm. a tendency you start to count them as as points when they've not actually been won yet. And I know from title races even involving us in the past, you've kind of done that and maybe lived to regret it a little bit. Um, so no, I, I don't see how don't see how they've, they've bottled it. They've... Yeah, they've dropped a few points. It's maybe unfortunate that they've dropped those points in a flurry over the course of the three draws in a row. But, I mean, City had dropped points a lot more consistently throughout the start of the season and then they've gotten it together. Like, were they bottling it then? No, it's just two really good football teams who've dropped points, as everyone does over the course of a league season. Um, 
yeah, I mean, Lewis might be a lot more angry about it, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I wouldn't wouldn't view them as that. And it seems like Arsenal always seem to get that un, quite unfairly, to be honest, mm. thrown at them more than most teams do as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously a similar situation last season, Lewis, with with the top four, you know, falling out of the top four race towards the end. Is that a, a big worry overall, or is it just a case of you've almost, I don't know, I don't know if flown too close to the sun is the right word this season, but like it was, it was kind of unrealistic. Um, and then it became very realistic and now it suddenly it's like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, well, like, I think last season was injuries and, and I think this season is, well, injury singular, but more than that, just running out of gas. Mm. Um, I, d- I don't know about bottling it. I like, I, I, I hate the phrase anyway. I don't think Liverpool bottled it in recent seasons. I don't think it's... Yeah really much of a thing uh before yesterday Arsenal hadn't lost in 10 games I feel like if you completely lose your nerve and throw it away then you might lose a football match from time to time yeah and like this is just the relentless pace of City means that you have to win you have to be perfect pretty much Mm. to to maintain it I mean Arsenal were pretty much perfect for half a season 50 points through the first 19 games and ultimately Man City are so good that they kept up like that's that's not to me, bottling it, it's were Arsenal ever going to have a hundred point season by you know maintaining that first nineteen games the the, the exact same form? I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams would have imagined that. Like Podrick said, people didn't think this squad could uh, could even maybe be in the top four at the start mm-hmm. of the season. And you know, predictions flew around after the way that last season ended, and everybody sort of agreed. I didn't, um, but the Arsenal wouldn't even finish in the top four this season. Yeah. So guilty, yeah. I think. To be honest, I think so, I think I was guilty of that as well. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. And it, well, yeah. but most people were, and like I don't, yeah. I mean, the whole bottling thing. I mean, if they were really going to bottle it, then maybe they would have. They were three one down at home a week ago, and came back in the last five minutes and to, to get to three all and then hit the bar and could have made it four three. Like, is that what bottling it is? Like <laughs> two inches between a shot that hits the bar or goes in? Yeah. Like, are we, are we going to make like enormous? I mean, everybody seems to have the urge to do it, but enormous statements on the mental state of human beings because a football maybe gets deflected and goes in or goes wide instead, or, you know, yeah, did they did Aston Villa bottle it because Jorginho's shot hit Emmy Martinez on the back mm. and just happened to roll in? I think there's, yeah. I, I think, I think the only acceptable use, Lewis, of uh, of bottling it will be if Napoli don't manage to get over the <laughs> line in Serie A from this one. They will have bottled it then, I think, yeah. Like, that's fair. the thing. I, I feel like. I feel like as humans, it's re- and as, like as football fans, it's really, really difficult for all of us to accept that a lot of this is just bad luck and bad timing mm. sometimes, or good luck and good timing. And mm. you know, when I, like Reese Nelson's goal against Bournemouth in the ninety seventh minute, like what if he just takes a bad touch there, and or, or the ball hits the post and flies off, like then Arsenal have drawn at home against Bournemouth. Is that bottling it in a title race, or is it just? Lucky that when he hit it, it happened to fly right into the top corner uh, instead of smashing off the post and going wide. Like I, I think those are the margins that are so so thin, you know. And you know, we we had a title to decide it a couple of years ago by millimeters of a of a goal line technology decision. Yeah. I don't, you know. And then people accused Liverpool of bottling that <laughs> league title. Like, well, well, I mean, like you know, if if John Stones is 
if John Stones wore a boot that was half a size smaller yeah. than Liverpool to won the league. Like, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think these big grand statements ever really do the, the players and the teams involved very much justice. Well, the, the biggest grand statement at the moment, and there's an increasing obsession with this in football, it seems, is to declare things over. It's over. The title race is over. You know, we've still got, you know, City have got seven games left. Arsenal have got five games left. Um, I've, I've seen people saying the title race is over at Christmas in previous seasons. And, you know, that's obviously really premature, but this still feels quite premature for me. Is it over for you, Podrick? Um, no, season? to be honest. Like, like I said earlier, I just think when you've still got those games in hand that haven't been won yet, I mean, City are obviously now the big favourites and I would be surprised if City didn't win it now, but it's definitely, and of course it's not over. Um Especially with, I mean, City have two massive Champions League games coming up as well, and that's mm. not going to be easy. They have an FA Cup final that's kind of on the horizon as well. That's at the end of the um, season, though, to be fair. So that almost yeah, doesn't yeah. But, factor I mean, in. Just, but. just to have that kind of, you know, and the all that goes into that with it being against Man United and stuff, mm. that's it maybe just comes into the thinking more so the fact that they can do a, a treble and, and equal what United did there. Yeah, no, it's it's not over. I mean, Arsenal could also slip up again uh, before the end yeah. of the season. I mean, they, I, I'm sure that they know as well. They'll need to be perfect. I think that's out. the bigger. I think that's the bigger reason that you might argue that it's over now. That's obviously Arsenal haven't won for four games now, and the idea that I, I can easily, I can imagine City lose. Uh, what they'd have to lose one and draw one now. I think. For, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, for Arsenal to win the league. I can imagine City losing a game and drawing a game. And I struggle to imagine Arsenal winning all five from uh, from here to the end of the season. Yeah. It's a question of perspective with things like this as well. Because me as a City fan, I'm kind of like, I'm looking at this game against Fulham on Sunday and thinking we could slip up there. And I think... Expecting the collapse to come. It's, it's not so much that I'm expecting. You just, I think you just kind of fear the worst as a fan, don't you? I don't know about anyone yeah. else, but like, and I think other other teams fans watching City just expect us to win every game and you're kind of hoping that we might slip up whereas I'm fearing that we're going to slip up and I think fear is probably a more powerful emotion than hope in that way so it's like you know it's that's turned not... into a Star Wars film it has a bit yeah. I think, yeah. Um, that's why horror movies are so big <laughs> yeah so for me I don't I don't think it's over you know we've still got to go to, to Brighton away and Brentford away at the end of the season if it's not done by then and it might be let's be honest but if it's not you know I'll be I'll be extremely nervous about those but then yeah you look at that trip to Newcastle that Arsenal have got and I feel like I'd be very surprised if they if they win that but then yeah you never know you never know let's uh, let's say that Arsenal aren't going to win the league Lewis if they don't do it how do you think you will reflect on the season that they've had um like in like in a few weeks from now or when next season rolls around? Let's say both. In a few weeks from now, like if it's, this is going to sting for a while, I think um, to, to get yourself in a position where you're very close, very, very close to, to winning a title, a title that we've waited a very long time for. Um, and I think unexpectedly as well. So you've sort of like had the chance to just enjoy it. I think the first half of the season, there wasn't, there wasn't a great deal of pressure. It didn't feel like going into games because it was like, yeah, like we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, that's been fantastic to enjoy that sort of thing, to enjoy the performances each week as an Arsenal fan again, because it's been a really long time since we've had that. And I think that'll, that'll be the feeling that lasts when, you know, when we go into June and July and August rolls around for next season. 
uh, for now, it's yeah, it's going to sting for a little while as we see City rack up the wins over the next few weeks. <laughs> Is this the start if of something? Any though? kind of silver lining, though, uh, Lewis, and I'm sure it won't be much consolation to be honest. But I'm sure I saw last night because Brighton had lost the Arsenal. Uh, mathematically yeah. back in the Champions yeah. League as if that was ever really in doubt but I mean that that'll be I'm actually quite looking forward to that next season because like when we were younger you, that used to just be you take that as a given that teams like Arsenal are in the Champions League so I mean I'm quite excited about that I don't, don't know I can't say for you obviously <laughs> um Less now than I than I will be when the, when when the draw is made in in the end of yeah. August, early September. <laughs> and uh, and the the flip side of that question, I guess, Podrig, is if City win the title, it will be five uh, titles from the last six. Is that bad for the Premier League for English football? Um, are we turning into League Earn, as people are saying? Yeah, yeah I've seen it, but I'm sure are we I the think- farmers? Somebody has won it more recently, though. If they're not in Ligue 1, then they have in the Premier League. Think, somebody yeah. other than City. Not so season. yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's not looking good. Uh, flip it back round on you then, Dan. If City don't win the the treble, then are you going to be disappointed? <laughs> the end of the season? Uh, um, because you've hurt poor Lewis, so I've got. To- well, n- honestly, no. I mean, I would I would just be happy with the Premier League title. And I know that sounds like a lie. I appreciate that it does, but I, I genuinely would just be thrilled with the, with the Premier League title and a- anything else is a bonus, really. Obviously, if it gets to the point when we've sort of won, if we've won the, the Premier League and the uh, the FA Cup then I'll, and we've got to the Champions League final and we get beaten that, then it would be um, it'd be pretty devastating, I think. But, what, if, yeah. uh, what if I offered you now, give Arsenal the league, but you can beat Man United in a cup final and have the Champions League for the first time. Would you take that? I'd take that, actually. Yeah, I would. Take that. Yeah, yeah. This offer should have been on the table a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Get the players all around, all around a desk with pens in hands. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you think about this, uh, it being bad for the Premier League if City win it again, Lewis? I mean, obviously, you know, They've spent billions. Um, they are owned by a human rights abusing state. Um, they have potentially breached 115 Premier League regulations. You know that's uh, you know it's going to be a long time until we know for sure what the what the story is there. But if we just take you know City in uh, one team dominating the league in in its purest form, is that bad for bad for this league? Um, I think it's bad for any league. Yeah, mm. I think it's. I think the the horse has bolted. I think that it's bad for it like if you go back 30 years it was not unusual for a team to win the the second division and sort of be able to put together something of a challenge the next year mm. um that ship has sailed we've we've got a league and a system a close shop where at a push six teams could win it you include newcastle uh, you can discount tottenham because tottenham um <laughs> Yeah, so like, I, I don't think that's good. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's very nice for English football. Um, and I don't think many people uh, that are as interested as maybe they would be in uh, in French football and, and in German football because of the situations in those countries. I think that people are a lot more interested and engaged again in Italian football now because Juventus haven't won uh, nine, ten in a row. So... Mm. Yeah, like I, I think it's a, it's a shame. I think it's a shame for fans, and I think it's a shame, you know, for for teams as well, for for the league generally. Um, we'll see. We'll see if if City obviously get over the line now and then win the next couple as well. I don't know. How, how do you feel? Because obviously you're you watch the league, but you're also 
the fan of the team that keeps <laughs> winning it. So smashing like, into. I'm sure. I'm sure this title <laughs> race is more enjoyable than uh, than the title race. Say uh, a few years ago when Liverpool completely fell off and City just sort of waltzed to the title. Uh, but yeah, do you think it's a bad thing? I guess for you personally, yeah, does it feel like a bad thing? Uh, I mean, I understand that it's not particularly healthy if one team dominates. And I do think that it is a Guardiola thing, perhaps more than anything else. I think there will be a bit of a kind of reverting to the mean when he leaves. Maybe he needs to be sort of forcibly ejected from the Premier League in order for it to <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, maintain some competitive balance. But like all of the title races, with the exception of, you know, perhaps that one you mentioned, the COVID season, um, have been really close run things, you know, going down to the final day of the season. I, I still think this one probably will go to the final day of the season as well. Um, you know, it's been nerve wracking. It's been a, a thrill ride and it's been really satisfying at the end of it. If we were just stroll into the title like we did when we got the 100 points, you know, if we were doing that every year, I don't think I would find that very enjoyable. And, you know, the most one-sided, like probably most boring title race in recent years was the one when Liverpool got 99 points a couple of years ago and we were, you know, streets behind them. So, yeah, I, I I get why other fans. I get every point that other fans make about City. Like, I just like don't really know what I'm supposed to do about it. Like, how yeah. it's kind of my problem, really. You're, yeah, you're in a position of real like uh, cognitive dissonance, and yeah, I, I would say like it's it's difficult, and, and we all have that like to to varying degrees. I think with our clubs as well, when like you, you know, they're all owned by people of. Um, varying degrees of disrepute, mm. and like we all have to sit there and like you can't feel like they've taken your football club away from you and you don't support them anymore yeah. and obviously if your football club wins then you're going to be happy about it um that doesn't mean that everything surrounding the situation is always fantastic and, exactly. and needs to be defended as well yeah i'm just trying to live in the moment with this stuff as well really because you know in a few years from now we could be relegated to league two or something so i'm just kind of like let's just sort of make hay while the sun shines and enjoy this while it lasts because it might not last forever so yeah and we might not even win the title this season let's see what transpires in the coming weeks um that will do us for today i think thank you gentlemen for joining me thanks to everyone for listening uh, we'll be coming back at you with another one football podcast very soon so keep your eyes on the skies